The first hymn that we sang by Charles Wesley ended with these words, changed from glory into glory till in heaven we take our place till we cast our crowns before thee lost in wonder, love and praise. Well, we've seen those great truths brought to us as we've made our way through the book of the Revelation. And now John brings a conclusion as he uh, draws to a close the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed to him. And one of the great overriding things that we see is that as John is uh, speaking to us and bringing things to a close, the number of times that he talks about the return of Christ and repeats this refrain, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, let's consider these final verses from verse 6 through to the end of chapter 22. I've got nine points. Don't worry. Don't let that put you off. We'll be done quicker than you think. I've not quite beaten Stuart's record. He once had ten. There we go. Number one. Faithful and true. Did you notice those words? Faithful and true. These words are faithful and true. It's a glorious expression. 100% faithful. 100% true. No fake news here, Mr. Trump. True. Faithful. Now we've come across this expression before. Back in chapter 3 and verse 14. These things says the Amen, who is this Christ. The faithful and true witness. That's Christ. Christ is faithful and true. His word, it should not surprise us, is faithful and true. And then not quite so long ago in our studies in this uh, revelation, back in chapter 19 and verse 11, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. That's Christ. And it's one of the titles the scriptures give, gives to him. I can't impress upon you strongly enough how special and important this book, the Bible, is. And I can't impress upon you strongly enough how special and important the Lord Jesus Christ is. Faithful and true. Now that is what people in this world are longing for. Even President Trump. People long to see that which is faithful and true. They want to see it in their politicians. 
They want to see it in the media. They want to see it in their friends. They want to see it in their husband or their wife. They want to see it in their children. Children want to see it in their parents. People expect to see it in the church. They long for something faithful, something that will not let them down because they cannot find anything in this world that will not at some point and in some way let them down. They cannot find anyone in this world who in some way will not let them down. They long for something true, something that will never deceive, something that will never mislead, and something that will prove itself in every circumstance. Is there such a thing? Here it is, in this book and in this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're looking for something faithful and true? Here's where you'll find it and nowhere else. It's of divine origin. The Lord God of the holy prophets, the one who has already spoken, who now is speaking in this way of revelation and inspiration, this unique thing that God does is the final time. But it's, this is divine. Just like God spoke to and through the prophets of old, so God has spoken to and through his New Testament servants and does so for one final time to the Apostle John as he draws this now to a close. And again, John shows us that of all the things that have been revealed to him, these must shortly take place at the end of verse 6. They must shortly take place. Now, apart from the, the actual return of Christ that we've seen and that we've sung about this evening, now, of course, the, the actual physical return of Christ the second time, that will and must take place at the end of the gospel age. Because that's what brings this gospel age to a close, when Christ returns. But all of these other things that we've been reading about in Revelation, they must all shortly take place. Everything from chapters 1 to 18 is applicable from the first generation of Christian believers all the way through to the last generation of believers. It was true for John in his day, and it's true for us today. These words... This saviour, faithful and true. Number two, Christ is coming quickly. Christ is coming quickly. Verse 7, verse 12, and then again at the end, verse 20. Christ is coming quickly. Now, of course, you might say, and sceptics might say, and those who wish to point at the Bible and try and prove that the Bible hasn't got a clue what it's talking about, you might say that, well, now it's nearly 2,000 years since these words were first written. And that kind of nullifies this claim that Christ is coming quickly. John said that 2,000 years ago. And still we wait. So is this true? 
does it not nullify this claim that Christ is coming quickly? That we've been waiting for 2,000 years? Well, I want to suggest that you need to look at this in at least two perspectives. The first is, compared to eternity, 2,000 years is nothing. And secondly, you don't know when Christ will return. And the Bible teaches very clearly that when Christ does return, it will be at a time that you do not expect. And so you need to think about eternity and you need to think about your salvation as if today might be your last, because it might be. In a whole number of different ways, it might be. You need to think to yourself, Christ is coming quickly and I don't know how long I have. Am I right with him? Are you? Number three, be careful what you worship. Be careful what you worship. John makes a very serious error in verses 8 and 9. Even now, at this point and at this stage in his life, he makes a grave error. He bows down to worship the king's messenger instead of worshipping the king. Be careful. Be careful. Don't credit men or women with the credit which belongs to God alone. It's more easily done than you think. And actually, it's a very serious point. To rob God, because that's actually what you're doing if you do this, to rob God of his honour and glory by transferring that honour and glory to men is a very grave thing, so much so that John is immediately rebuked and corrected by the angel. Oh, hey, hang on a minute. You've got that completely wrong. Don't go any further, John. Worship God. Even someone as grand as a sinless angel is a mere servant. Just a servant. Just as John is. To hold up one of God's messengers as if you think that there is something in him which has produced some great spiritual fruit is a grave error. We can easily do that as Christians. It's in our nature to, to look to people and put our trust in people over and above the trust that we should be putting in God. Remember how Paul had to deal with this issue in the Corinthian church. Here's a, here's a minister of, of God who's planting the seed. Here's a minister of God who's watering the seed. But both of them are mere servants and nothing more than servants. It is God who's given the increase. 
Don't worship Paul. Don't worship Apollos. Don't worship whoever the modern equivalent might be in your mind. Worship God and God alone. And just linked into that danger that we might see a man or a woman who apparently uh, is achieving great things for the Lord and be tempted to give to the person that which we ought to be giving to God. Uh, don't also make the mistake of assuming that an apparent lack of fruit in one man's ministry therefore rates this servant of God beneath this other servant of God. It is all of God. Take your eyes off the servants and fix them on the Lord and worship him. Number four. All of these things that John is receiving from Christ, all these things are for now. In John's day, as he received them, they were all for him then, just as they are for us now. This book of the Revelation is not to be sealed in a time capsule to be opened at some future date when it's more relevant. Some people treat the book of Revelation like that. Jesus, speaking through his angel, tells John that everything that John has just written down is for now and has relevance now. And of course, that was part of my introduction to this series, if you can think back that far, when we briefly considered the different methods of interpretation that people have about the revelation. Every part of this revelation has as much meaning and relevance for you today as it did for John in his day. The whole book, everything. It's all for now, the whole thing. So that just reinforces some of the things that we've been saying about the things in this revelation. Number five, what you are when Christ returns is what you will always be. And this comes down to verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. What does that mean? Well, it certainly can mean that every man or woman who lives their lives rejecting the message of the gospel, every man or woman who lives their lives rejecting Christ and rebelling against God and rebelling against the gospel may in time find themselves abandoned to that choice that they have made. And there will be no day of grace for them. But what is also absolutely certain is that on the day that Christ returns, what you are is what you always will be. Because there'll be no more time to change. There'll be no further opportunity to do anything about it. If you set your heart and mind against Christ, if you've chosen to reject him, then there comes a time in the lives of many, then that is what you will always be. 
both in the rest of this life and for all eternity. And for all eternity, you will be unjust and filthy and you will receive from God the condemnation that that condition will bring on the day of judgment. On the, on the positive side, for those of us who are in Christ, here's the great encouragement. Those of you who have been made righteous in Christ Jesus, because you've received his righteousness, you remain secure in your righteousness. You will not lose your salvation. He will keep you to the end. The righteousness that you've received now in Christ Jesus will be fully completed on that great day and you will be with him. What you are when Christ returns is what you will always be. There's a day approaching when it will be too late to change your mind. You need to decide today and now, if you never have before, what you're going to do with Christ and the message of his gospel. Number six, Christ as he returns will bring his reward. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming quickly, here it is again, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He'll bring his reward, he's going to come in judgment. We're reminded again that there is to be a sense of urgency and anticipation in the Christian believer. Christ is coming quickly at a day or hour we do not know. And when he comes, he'll bring his reward. Some Christians aren't very comfortable with this idea of Christ bringing rewards for those who are his. But we saw it in the parables of Jesus as we went through Luke's gospel. And here it is again, reward for believers according to their work. Now, please note, it is not, it is not salvation according to their work. It is not that. Salvation comes only through repentance from sins, from belief and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord. Salvation is only by faith, through grace, all the work of God's grace. And eternity in heaven is for all who are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation on the judgment day for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now those who are not in Christ, well they will be judged according to their works outside of that salvation. And they will receive a very different type of reward. They will receive the wages of their sins in full. But for those who are saved, there are eternal rewards according to your obedience and your faithfulness in Christ. And it's Christ who will do this, verse 13, the one who is the beginning and the end. It starts with Christ. It concludes with Christ. How can we know which side of this judgment we'll be on? Verse 14. Those who belong to Christ keep his commandments. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now again, this is not salvation by works. 
This is not if you do this, then God will. This is if God has done this, then you will. If God has done this work of grace in your life, then you will keep his commandments. If God has made you to be one of the saints, you will demonstrate that fully in your life because you'll keep his commandments. Because that is the nature and the character of one who is a follower of Christ. It's one of the marks of a Christian. Because the law has been placed into your heart. The law of God is a delight to your soul. And you'll keep his commandments. How can we be sure of these things? Oh, the others, by the way, well, they're, they're described in verse 15, aren't they? Dogs. Dogs were some of the most unclean of unclean animals to a Jew. Dogs, sorcerers, the sexually immoral and so on. They won't get into the city. They're the ones who are left outside. Don't be left outside. Don't be left outside. And how can we be sure of these things? Verse 16. I've sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This message comes from the one who is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. The one speaking is the man who is God. This is the one who is great David's greater son. This is the one who has been foretold and promised all through the Old Testament scriptures. I am he. God, who's come into the world to be your salvation for you. I'm the one who's speaking. This is I who am saying these things. It is sure, faithful and true. You can rely on this message. More than that, you can rest your whole eternity on the truths of this. You can trust your life and your death to this. The bright and morning star is a reference to his holy majesty in Numbers 24. Wonderful picture of Christ, the bright and morning star. You ever woken up on one of those crisp, clear mornings and it's just getting light and low in the horizon, there's the brightest star shining. Wonderful picture of Christ. Number seven. It's not yet too late. It's not yet too late. Come while you may. Verse 17. The spirit and the bride, oh, that's us, the church. Come, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. It's not yet too late. Come while you may. Come because you must. The exhortation comes from the Holy Spirit and the church and from all who've heard this glorious truth. This salvation is still offered that you may take of it freely, no cost. The river of life is something that you may yet drink from if you haven't. Come and find in Christ that which your soul thirsts for and longs for. You'll find it here in Christ. Christ is coming quickly, but he hasn't come yet. So you still can and you must come to him. 
and you must do it now. The final judgment is approaching and you will remain unjust and filthy in God's eyes until that day or until you will come to Christ and be washed and cleansed and made right with God. Which will it be? Which will it be? Imagine in your eyes one of those disaster movies that you're probably familiar with. And in the background is the unfolding, impending doom that's coming closer and closer. Maybe it's a great tsunami. Maybe it's a huge, huge fireball that's approaching in the distance. And in the foreground, there are those who know where the place of refuge and safety is. And as you see that thing moving closer and closer, they're shouting to everyone, come, come. That's this message. That's this message. It's coming. But come. Come while you may. Come because you must. Come and find refuge in Christ. Come. If you never have, will you not come? Why will you not come? How often do people hear this from our lips? Come. Your unsaved family members. Come. Your neighbours. Come. Your colleagues at work. People you study with. Come. Come to Christ. Come while you may. Come because you must. But come. It's free. Because Christ has paid it all in full. Come. These truths are fixed. And must be kept as they are. That's point eight. And that's verses 18 and 19. Nothing's to be added. Nothing's to be taken away. Nothing's to be altered. Nothing's to be changed. Don't tamper with the book. Don't tamper with the words. Don't tamper with the message. Keep it as it is. Guard it. Love it. Trust it. Live it. But keep it as it is. It's to be kept as it is. And then finally, number nine, what the longing of every Christian heart should be. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. John's response, amen. So come, Lord Jesus, come. The longing heart of the Christian that Christ would come, that he would bring to completion everything that Christ came to do. And at the same time, as well as saying, come Lord Jesus, we're saying, come to Jesus, but come quickly. It's all of grace. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What a glorious thing to pray. What a glorious thing to know. What a glorious thing to have. Do you have this? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.